Scene 7. Jeff Allen. Read by Joshua Stenkamp, followed by original audio recording. Behind the world's greatest theme park, Walt Disney World, sits a quiet road filled with trees and sparse areas of apartment buildings. Jason and I pull into a complex looking for the apartment of Jeff Allen. It is extremely hard to sum up Jeff Allen in any amount of words I could possibly speak. The best I can describe him is, is that he has no fear. Actors learn to trust their instincts and have the confidence to overcome any doubt. When performing, Jeff Allen commits to every idea that comes to his mind. To me, he is the definition of no fear. Jason, Josh, and Jeff sit at a glass table with some complimentary chips and salsa. A few feet away, Jeff's mother, visiting from South Florida, listens in from the kitchen. All right, we are here with Mr. Jeff Allen, the man of mystery. How are you doing today? I'm good, Josh. How are you? Doing great. So uh, we usually start off pretty simple. Um, how did you get your start in performing? My mother and father, they performed in the 1970s. They did a, um, a mind reading act and uh, they did a, a school show integrating magic and nutrition. That was my mom and my father integrated magic and art. Uh, he was an artist. So they, they both went to elementary schools and high schools. And I was brought up in the business. My father bought a, uh, found a magic book in a dumpster in the 1960s in Brooklyn, New York. And that's where he got started. And uh, I used to crawl around Tannen's Magic on 1540 Broadway. And uh, my dream was to work at Tannen's, which I did when, uh, in, in 1989, so for a little while. But that's basically how I got my start in magic, just learning from my mom and dad and being around it. Nice. The... Um you have a character that's called the, the Man of Mystery. Yeah. How did you come up with that character? <clears throat> 1999, I, um, I was performing shows at different hotels and birthday parties, and I was a fun, a fun magician. And for the, for the kids and the adults, and I, everything was fun. And then I started to want to um, express my, my humor, the same humor I had when I was around my friends privately. I used to have uh, tell puns, and I used to be strange around my family. And I said, I'm, I'm two different people. I'm, I'm strange when I'm around my family and my friends, and I'm getting laughs. But when I'm in front of a birthday party, as a birthday party magician, I'm a, I'm a whole different person. I miss the fun man, you know, it was... I, I wanted to see if I could integrate the weird guy into into a magician and not just perform for kids, but perform for adults. So it took me a while, uh, two, 2000, 2000, I thought of that idea in 1999. In 2000, I started writing material and I contacted a comedy club in Altamont Springs. And I went up the Bonkers Comedy Club. Right on, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, um, every Tuesday night, they would have an open mic night. And I would perform five minutes of material. And I couldn't wait until every Tuesday evening. I had a, I had a job at a nursing home working for, um, in Orlando, working for a, an activities director. And, but all week long, I could not wait until I could, perform my five minutes of material 
and it was getting it was getting a, a good reaction. Right on. A lot of the comics would stand by the bar and wait for me to come on, and they would be silent until I got on. They wanted to see what I was going to do next, and I loved that feeling. So um, with that, I started. There was no magic in the act. It was all prop comedy. Okay. And then after a while, I started to integrate the magic into it. Did you find it uh, when you, when you developed your your character, the man of mystery? Did you find it easier that when you developed your character, that it was easier to find your magical effects than it was just being Jeff Allen performing? Was it just? Did you actually just say, "Oh, I want to do that trick," or as the man of mystery, were you going there are specific effects that I want for my character? Was it easier to find basically find tricks that fit your character than just Jeff Allen? If that makes any sense, Jay? Can you sum that up better? Mm -hmm. and then I'm, I think I, I, think I know. What you're yeah, okay. okay. I, I took I took the effects that I already did, mm -hmm. <clears throat> like the linking rings, or the an escape from a bag with chains, and I said, okay, this is the way I perform it at a, in a birthday party setting or in a an elementary school setting. That's how Jeffrey would perform it. How would the man of mystery perform it? And with, with the linking rings, I performed it with a volunteer in a fun way. The Man of Mystery, I do a three-ring routine to a song, You Don't Bring Me Flowers, which doesn't make any sense at all. And when <laughs> I, I met Barbara Streisand. And when I end it, I, I get the applause and I take the rings and I shut the music off and I throw it into a big garbage pail and I say, enough of that. And you hear a big crash. And that gets a laugh. So that's the way the Man of Mystery would do it. If, if I did that as Jeffrey, it would be confusing. So I just took each, and that's a good question. I just took each effect that I was performing at the time and I transitioned it into my character. How would the man of mystery perform it? How would, instead of Jeffrey Allen, perform it? And I just switched roles. That was interesting. Um, that was the man of mystery. Uh... So the Man of Mystery, and there's another character that you did called that guy. Is it the same character, or is, it, is that is the Man of Mystery the evolution of that guy, or how did that process go? It, 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 it stemmed from that guy, okay. and that, that's, that's great. Um, that guy was my original thought in 2000. I wanted people to come into the comedy club and say, oh, is that guy performing tonight? Which guy? Oh, that guy. Who? It was like, who's on Abbott and Costello? So the joke extends all right. the way back. <laughs> <laughs> who's on first? I, I, thought of that while I, was, I, was I, I thought of that while I was vacuuming a carpet at my friend's house. So if the name sucks, you would understand why. Um, <laughs> right. Jesus, the punch. That's pun number one. That's pun number one. Um, That's great. So, the, right, that, that guy. So I used that for a while, and then I... And then when I and that guy did magic too. That guy did no magic. The only thing I did was the linking rings in the act, and it had no real fit. It just had. It was done to a disco song that had a very mysterious um, backbeat to it. Uh, not you don't bring me flowers. And then I could tell you when I switched over. If you want that, if you want to hear yeah, that question, if you want to get that answer. Um, I was performing, I was still performing, uh, okay, then I switched to, to that guy, and I was 
not the man of mystery yet. But I walked into the Daytona Magic in 2007, and Harry Allen asked me to perform, uh, asked me to uh, if I wanted to perform at the um, the contest. Um, and I said, well, I, I don't have any magic, and I didn't I didn't have any magic. Um, he said, uh, well, you know. You, why don't you take some of the comedy stuff you have and, and then, you know, add some magic to it. And I got a pen and piece of paper and in the shop, I stood for like maybe two hours and wrote down in my transitions down the wall that you helped me built. If you remember the yeah, wall, the, the, uh, had a wall with 10 bottles of beer and I would smash them. I think you remember, I have it on video yeah. and, and, I, and that's the way I did my comedy act. Um, how can I take those bottles of beer and make it magic? And then I said, well, if the, the bottle moved, uh, if the bottle fell, if I vanished the bottle, that would make it more magical. So those are some of the ideas I came up with in those couple of hours at Daytona Magic. And then in 2008, I, I um, entered the contest and I won first place. Only There were only four people. So there were only four people. So it was not like you know entering FISM contest. I, I was proud. But the person who came in second was Michael Trix. So I was glad, and he's wonderful. So I was glad that he, that I at least had some um, substantial competition. It wasn't just Joe, the magic guy, who goes to a magic shop. And, you know, there was real competition because Michael Tricks is excellent and he has a lot of credentials. So um, I'm, I'm glad that we competed against each other. Is there anything that you do before you walk out on stage to get yourself into your character? I say to myself uh, all the time, there's one reason why I'm performing, one reason, and that's to expose people to my way of thinking, whether they like it or if they don't like it, it's not, it is irrelevant. The, uh, the main reason I'm performing here tonight is to expose them to something different, the man of mystery. I'm not here to please the audience. I'm not going out and saying, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, how are you this evening? Uh, tonight, I'm going to show you some magic. And it's like a piece of artwork. If you look at a piece of artwork and you, you like it or you don't, you like it or you don't like it, and then you leave the museum. But either way, if they like it or they don't like it, I tell myself it's going to make the audience think when they walk out the door. So I, it's a mantra. I tell, I tell myself this backstage all the time. I'm here to expose them to something different. They may or may not like it, but at least they're exposed to it. And uh, that's my job. It's not going to hurt them physically nor mentally. I'm here to expose them to something different. When you switch from being Jeff to the man of mystery, when does that happen in your preparation before you walk out on stage? Or is it like when you walk out on stage, when do you make that switch into that character? When I put my trench coat on. Trench coat. Right when, on. I put my, when I put my jacket on. And when I put my mask on, and when I put my hat on and my gloves, when I'm, I can't do the show. My, my mother said uh, that the trench coat looks very hot on you. You don't need the trench coat. And I said, yeah, I need the trench coat. I, the trench coat is part of me. It's like uh, I can't do the act without my trench coat. Just like I couldn't do my kid's show without my, my sparkly vest. Right. You know, I felt like I was a, a fun in a fun atmosphere. I can't, I can't picture David Copperfield in uh, – in plaid, right? You know, it's a great I, analogy. Yeah, it's a great way of looking at it. 
I can't. I can't. Can you picture, you know, Doug Henning in, in a business suit? Yeah, it just doesn't fit. Yeah, it's no. David Copperfield dressed as Matt King. It doesn't. Right, it, it doesn't it, work. Yeah, right. Everybody has their own. <coughs> and when when people when kids go to school, they have a dress code. There's a reason for that dress code too. You know, there's a reason. There's a reason that they have black tie affairs. It's a setting that you're trying to communicate to other people, and uh, when. And this is what I want to communicate, that I'm strange. I'm wearing – and even if it's 100 degrees out and I have a show outdoors, which I hate, Jason. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you've done it. One you've of done the reasons it. why I don't do magic anymore. We've, we've all done it. We've all done it. You've done it. We've all done it. I, 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 I don't like it. Yeah, it's horrible. This is my interview. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna leave it in. Yeah, yeah, this is a live no podcast. Way, no way to talk to your mother. This is a live podcast. This is a live podcast. This is going out. This is Chris Kenner's listening. Chris Kenner's listening. Right. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. How long? I love you, man. You know. How long did it take you to find your costume? Did you go through different clothing, or was it just you found the trench coat? You found all these pieces automatically, or did you go through a process like? This didn't work. That didn't work. Or did you? I mean, how long did it take you to find your character's clothing? First, I wore good question. All black, all black. And uh, was that a conscious decision, or is it just like I don't know where this is going? It's all I have in my closet. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, we're magicians. That's all it. I have in my closet. Did you like? I because I know that the mask you wear is white. Uh, right. Did you already have the mask at that point? No, so. I looked for a white mask. The reason I wore the white mask was I, I wanted I wanted it to be the, the black clothing is the frame. Is mm -hmm. the frame. Mm -hmm. The white mask is the picture inside the frame. So everything around me is is the frame. The white mask is the uh, is is the photograph. Um, I I read a long time ago, and who was it? The street magician in Manhattan. The first street magician in Manhattan, Jeff Sheridan. Jeff Sheridan. Yeah. Jeff Sheridan, and I believe it was him, and I could be wrong. He wore all black. He wore spandex because he said that when people when he had people look at him, he wanted um, he wanted them not to pay attention to his clothing, but to pay attention to his face and his his emotion, and he didn't want people to be swayed away from that. Right. And it makes it makes a lot of sense when you look at. A, I don't like frames that have flowers around them. I want to be directed into the picture itself. That's and, and I and what Jeff Sheridan said stuck with me all my life, and I wanted to do the same thing. But everything is black shoes, everything. The, the mask I wanted to, to be different. If the mask was black, it would be. Um, I want I want the mask to stand out. <clears throat> stand out. How important is music in your show? Because I know that you're an accomplished pianist. Appreciate that. I mean, it, it, when you have music in your show, is, is there? Do you do it for a specific reason? I mean, is there a conscious decision of do you listen to constant music? You go, I know exactly that it sets the tone. I mean, how much has music helped your magic? Music. We were talking about this. M music is every everything. <clears throat> I've done this show with music. I've had my music fail on me. Uh, a week ago at Wonderworks, the music <laughs> shut off right in the middle of the show. It was my stupid fault because I forgot to charge the uh, thing, the, uh, the MP3. And I plugged it in and I forgot to turn it on. Um, the audience didn't know. No, I knew. 
And I knew what I was robbing the audience of at that moment. And I'm sure you've been there and you've been there too. Um, so it's nothing new. Um, music is everything. I pick, I've had people come up to me after my show, not, not a lot of people in, in my life, but a few people and a handful of people and say, wow, the music selection that you, that you have is, is really, really, uh, they're good choices. Right um, and I'll tell you, I, I always love music, but who I learned it from was Copperfield. I'm not using his music. Right. Unlike other people. That we <laughs> you know. But I can feel the highs and the lows. And uh, music is every, everything, everything to me. I, I, um, music, I tell you, it's 90%, maybe even 95% of the show. My magic, I don't do great magic. They're good, they're good effects. They're not, not I don't think anybody's going to walk out saying, oh, I remember that effect, that, you know, this effect or that effect. I don't do great magic. What they're going to remember, I want them to remember, and I, I mean this, I mean this, I mean this, I mean this. I want them to remember the whole experience, the whole journey from the beginning to the end. The uh, the music plays, the music is going to bring them on, on a roller coaster. So I hope I didn't digress, but yeah. The no, no, is. that's perfect. When when you're coming up with new ideas and new jokes, are you constantly writing them down or like, because when I come up with a show, I constantly listen to music because music to me, gives me the inspiration to come up for an effect. I hear a music, I go, Oh, that would be, that makes me think of a floating light bulb. I really want to do it to that song. But when you're coming up with, are you constantly writing down ideas? Is it just something pops in your head and you start writing it? Or how does that process work? I, I think of it. Um, I could be sleeping. I could be whatever walking around Disney. I could be driving. Um, I could be listening to a talk show. Um, and if I really feel, if I really feel that it's a good idea, I'll write it down. If I feel that it's going nowhere, I'm not going to write it down. And I know I should because that can that can stem to something else, you know, and you can brainstorm that idea. But there, are, I know when I have a good idea. I know because I I feel it. It's like uh, it's like getting a gift from. It's like get, it, really. It's like it's like getting a hundred dollars in the mail from someone. <coughs> And that's, you know, when I came up with the, the brick wall, um, I was walking around. I was in the nursing home with the bottles of beer, and I was, I was working, and I said, How, what can I do with this? You know, what can I do with bottles of beer and a, the bottles of beer in the wall? And when I came up with that whole idea, it was like I got a $100 bill in the mail, and, and you, could, you could feel it. I wrote it down immediately, and it led into something. Um, I try not to force anything anymore. If it's not good, forget it. I know when I have something good. Right. But if I know that I have something good, it's different from when I try it out in front of an audience. Because I tried something out last week, an idea that I came up with riding in the car. It didn't get any reaction. Now, the audience, I think, was they were a little flat. I'm going to try it one more time on Saturday. If it, if it doesn't get a, a good reaction, I'll try it. One more time on Sunday. If it's done, then then I, I threw it out of the show. I'll try it three times. Right on. That's great. That actually answered one of the questions we usually ask. Um, oh, really? Yeah, because we ask. Am I digressing away from what you're asking? No, 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 not at all, not at all. Um, one of the other things is how much Jay usually asks this question, like the happy moment. Um, 
but happy accidents, happy accidents in your show. Like mm-hmm. we've all had the moment where something goes wrong, but it gets a better reaction than what we had planned. And it's like, do you, how conscious are you of those moments? Do after the show, do you go back and write them down and go that stayed in? I'm assuming that's happened just from you shaking your head. You were there, I think. At Wizards. Mm. <clears throat> the plug. The plug. I left it in. I was I, so genius, dude. You know, I, I mean, think, can you explain what's up? Yeah, but yeah, it was genius. Yeah, he was good. I don't know. Were you there? I don't think so. It was okay. hysterical. I don't think I knew really Jay at that time. Okay. I came out and uh, my my music or my blender was uh, it was the music it was yeah I started my music and I had a an iPod like an old generation iPod nothing didn't work didn't work people started laughing I started getting a heart attack (laughs) I tried it I plugged it in I plugged it in I took the plug out people were laughing I had my back towards everybody plugged it in plugged it in nothing 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 then I realized that the the main circuit that I had it plugged in, the button wasn't turned on, it was off. So, but it took a good two minutes. It was. <laughs> it was like everybody was sitting there, and because of your character, it worked to your benefit because nobody knows exactly. It's like you said, it's not a regular magic show where you're greeting the audience. It's, and I, I use the word awkward in a very good way, it's an awkward show. And your character is awkward, so when something goes wrong, when something goes sideways, you can make it work in your benefit because the audience just assumes, like, strange. okay, this guy is really strange, and this is just part of the strangeness. So, yeah, but it was genius. like, And just Thanks, because man. it was the um, relationship to the prop that – and then with the audience not knowing what the hell was going on. The audience was in tears. I mean, everybody was laughing. And I remember after the show, a lot of people were like, that needs to stay in because that is absolutely perfect. Right. Yeah. So, correct. So. Genius. Just genius. It happened by accident. It happened by accident. Because I would, I would push the music and, you know, the, the man of mystery, I would have my own introduction. I would come out. But now the music didn't start. So, um. And I was really flipping out inside sure. <laughs> because it wasn't, I, I had no, I had control over it, but I didn't have any control over it. So now, you know, I need to have control over every moment that seems uncontrolled. Um, so now I have, when it says, you know, the man of mystery, it, I play, uh, if you want my body and you think I'm sexy. Rod Stewart. Right. R- Rod yeah. Stewart. So I, now I come, I come out and I don't smile or anything. I turn my back on the audience <laughs> and I stop. And, and I wait for like a good 10 seconds and I push play again. If you want my body and you think I'm sexy, I stop it again. And you hear people, you know, saying, talking. And I turn my head and I look at the people with my mask and I shake my head like I'm pissed. <laughs> and then I turn back around, play, and then it starts my whole introduction again. And then I go behind the curtain. So I don't know how many people get it. <laughs> I don't care how many people get it. Again, it's exposing. I'll tell you, I, I did my show and I love them, um, but I, I won't mention their names. I won't mention them. Off, off, off of this, I will. Um, but two magicians were at my show, and one of them said, "Your opening is very good, but when you have trouble with the music, 
it looks very unprofessional. And I said, I want it to look unprofessional. And they said, oh, you're going for that? And I said, yeah. <laughs> so that's what I'm going for. This is what I'm going for. I'm going for awkward. No, it's a, I, th I think we've, I mean, Jay and I have had conversations and I mean, the best way to describe it, and whoever, you know, when you read the book list, to it, literally look up, look up Jeff Allen. It's you're, you're an Andy Kaufman magician is the way, the best way that I, that we can say it is that you are an Andy Kaufman type magician. And it's, if people don't get the joke, doesn't matter because a lot of people will get the joke. A lot of people will get the joke. Yeah. Um, I hear kids in the audience say, oh, I get it. <clears throat> a lot of the puns. I don't want to get, I don't want to be a kid's magician. Right. I really don't. And I love kids. I love kids. <laughs> I don't have a kid's show that I do also. But when I hear kids, when I take a head of lettuce out and I say, let us do this. And a kid, <laughs> and a kid says, I don't know if you remember that. And a kid says, oh, I get it. It's a head of lettuce. I feel good because when I was that age, when I was five or six, <coughs> my mother and father exposed me to stuff that was different right. and weird. I don't think that and I'm, I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for this right now, um, <laughs> but you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> Excuse me. I love you. Hey, uh, I we, we have interviewed the amazing Jonathan and a lot of people. You <laughs> first, as much as we 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 are no, not editing any of this. No, okay. Stuff. I'm going to say it. I want to say it right now. I think a lot of and, and and this is I'm dead set on this right now. I think a lot of parents out there <laughs> don't don't expose their children to stuff that's different they expose them to things that are norm that are, are strictly within the norm ipods and, and ipads and television and uh miniature golf courses and uh the theme parks that are controlled environments uh malls um not participatory yeah Right, not participatory. You, you, <laughs> you can't help it. Right, so, no, I know. She's from New York. That's don't don't <laughs> worry. Don't worry. The, the book will say interview with Jeff Allen and Mom. And Mom. Yeah, we'll put that in there for you. I'm going to that down. Jeff Allen. You, you, ex you, and my, <laughs> you and my father exposed me to art museums in Manhattan, uh, to street performers in, in the village. We went to uh, an art. My, my father was an artist. They took me to a uh, seven years old in Manhattan. Um, Annette Lombard, he took me to her house and uh, we walked, you would love this, we walked into her uh, apartment and there was, she was having a party. She was an artist, very eclectic person. She had paintings, paintings on the, on the ceiling, oh, wow. on the ceiling. She lived in a loft. She lived in a loft in Manhattan in the 70s. Oh. <laughs> on the floor, on the ceiling. I've never wow. seen a painting on the ceiling before. Wow. You know, and I think, I think parents need to expose their children to eclectic um, experiences as well as the norm so they can pick and choose. But life, to me, life is boring if you just have, if you have boxes, if you're in a box. Waves, I think, are more exciting. And again, it doesn't have to be a wave that will hurt you mentally nor physically, but a wave that you can choose your own way of thinking and say, wow, this was really different or this was not for me and it goes back to when someone walks out of my show saying this is really different or this was not for me but expose people to 
to different ways. Take them to, to restaurants. Why do, and again, why do kids, if someone once I heard at a restaurant, a woman complained to the manager, you don't have enough kids food, uh, kids, uh, kid foods on the buffet. And it was a Chinese restaurant. You don't have enough. What is, what are kids foods? When I was a kid, I liked Indian food, Thai food. Um, I didn't like chicken fingers. Why do chicken fingers have to be kid foods? Why can't children experience different foods? You know, why expose your children to different entertainment, to different foods, to different things, and, and let them see the world in different ways. It doesn't have to be this way. You know, one of the questions I was about to ask is what advice do you have to the next generation of reformer? And I think you kind of summed it up with that is if I, it is just go out of the box, go out of the norm. Correct. It bores me to be with a lot of people. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I, I'm not an elitist. I'll talk to anybody, but I'll learn something more from a homeless person who's at a gas station. And I say this in my show. Anybody ever hang out at the gas station for a couple of hours? <laughs> I hung out at the gate. Christopher Tracy and I hung out at gas stations for like two hours. We talked to people. We got coffee. That was that was more of an adventure than going to a, uh, a, a function in a, in a beautiful house or a black tie affair. I learned more from somebody sitting on, on the street about their life. My mother said, you can always learn something from a homeless man you know, just as oh, well as you can learn. Right. It doesn't, you know, that, that homeless person can be a teacher as, as much as a teacher with a degree can be a teacher. Um, expose your kids to as many to different, to different things. And, and you and I were talking about that too. Not only magicians, but even as a person, the more you know, the richer you are. And you told me that as a kid, and I never believed. All I wanted to do was magic. I, I was told, <laughs> right? And you said, you and grandma, and even Eddie, and my father told me this, but I overlooked it. You always told me to learn as much as you can about different things. Be well-rounded. And all I wanted to do was, I wanted to do magic. But now I see what, I see how that ties into what I'm doing now. And I have more interests now than, than I did back then. And that's what my show is. What, I think I want to uh, um, describe my, when people say, well, who are you like? And I, I want to say, well, I'm a combination of my, my past, present, and future. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I've seen people when, on, their, on, their, on their brochures, well, he's a combination of Gallagher and uh, this guy and that. No, I'm a combination of uh, my childhood, my mid-adulthood, and now. I'm not like, I don't want to be like anybody else. Kaufman, you could describe me as Kaufman because of that sense of humor, but, you know, who are you like? That, that's such an obvious question. You like Picasso? You're an artist? Who do you paint like? You have two ears. You like Van Gogh? You know? No, I, I paint like myself, and I'm a combination of my childhood, my teenage years, and my adult years. That's who I paint like. I'm me. That's a beautiful answer. Yeah. Be yourself. Be yourself. Yeah. Screw everybody else. Buy a trick. Take the instructions. Throw the instructions out. Learn the mechanics. You've done it. Yeah. You've done it. Yeah. 
<laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> so funny. Oh. Do you have any other questions, Jay? I think. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm like, I'm like, we we kind of blasted through. Those are awesome. I would, I would, I wanted to talk more about, um, and mainly because it's a, a fascination of mine, music, and how that, outside of just the act itself, how is understanding music and playing music affected the way that you do magic, if it has at all, learning it. Uh, thinking about it, how does it integrate? How does it, I mean, before you said it, it, it is everything. Is that all inclusive or just uh, in the act? Knowing a certain beat of a, of a song in my act, just like when I play a song on the piano, I have to know the rhythms. Um, I have to stop in the middle of a song and stop, stop the song in the middle of one of the effects. And I have to hear where that beat's coming up. Because if, if I don't do this at that beat, then it's not going to get the same reaction. It, it's, right. You know? Yeah. Um, Jeff McBride was, was great at when he said this a long time ago. He says, uh, don't use music that has highs and lows. Use music that, that's steady because it won't. And, and that's brilliant um, because then you can't really – there's no highs and lows. And any, at any moment when you want something to happen, it's not going to coincide. It's just going to be straight. And that's great. I wanted it to be, to be affected. I wanted to open my hand at this beat, you know. So, knowing music, and I'm not an expert at music. I'm not. I'm good at it, but I know when the beat's coming up, and I could feel it. And that's when I have to open my hand. And I, I screwed up a lot too. I opened my hand one second after that beat, and I could hear the audience not react as if I opened my hand on that beat. So I have to. I have to feel the music. Um, and I have to translate that feeling into my um, into what I'm what I'm doing for the audience, into my um, actions. Translate the music from my emotions into my actions. Your show is, I mean, it, coinciding with music, is your show scripted and performed perfectly, or is there do you have a lot of room for play? It's scripted. It's it's from one to ten. Everything is scripted. There's room in the middle though for for. Um, to get off track and to improvise with the audience. Uh, but after I improvise, I know where I'm, I'm going right back. Right. I'm going right back because I know what effect is coming up next. What is, you know? So uh, when you're writing your script, I mean, do you, do you, do you write it? Let's say like, like a musical composition, it goes complete through, or do you just kind of bullet point it? Like I'm going to do this, I'm going to hit this and I can play here and then I'll go back to this joke. I mean, when you're writing your, your show, is it, is it like a full play? Like it's completely yes. scripted? Everything, yeah, it's completely scripted. I know what I'm going to say when I come out. I know the second thing that I'm going to say, right? I know what I'm going to say at the end. Um, in between, I know when I'm uh, – every, yeah, everything is bullet pointed. Okay. Everything. And, but there is room to – Have to relate to the audience. Right. There are many times that I – yeah. Because you know the show so well, you're able to veer off track a little bit and go right, <laughs> basically. Right, I can I can veer off, I veer off track a lot. <laughs> <laughs> when you're working in new material, mm -hmm. right? Are those the spaces that you allow to work in new material? Or are you taking pieces out and going, all right, I'm going to take a 
how does it, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but how do you integrate new material into your show? It has to, first of all, I'll be honest with you, I'm afraid to integrate new material right now. Right on. I'm totally afraid to <laughs> integrate new material. Because right now you said you, you were doing a, um, you're doing a new effect or a new joke or something in Wonder Words. Right. Did you did you take anything out to put that in, or are you just kind of adding it into? I'm, I'm adding it into a space where it was blank. Okay. Where it was blank. Um. And I and I had a feeling that it will fit on Saturday. The audience, the the gentleman that I chose, I chose the wrong person. He he wasn't comfortable on stage, and I respect that. And he wanted to get off the stage, so. I had his uncomfortableness with my new joke at the same time. Have you been through that? Yes. yes. Totally. Okay. Totally. And I and I met him in the alley after. Taught him a thing or two. I taught him a thing or two about new jokes. But, and you gave him a free ticket to the Saturday show. <laughs> Saturday show. So hopefully he'll be better. <laughs> Give him a, a mask so he wouldn't be. <laughs> but um. It was my fault. I, you know, I don't know. And that's another thing is choosing volunteer. Gosh, that's a whole other uh, book, choosing volunteers. Um, but yeah, this, the, to go back to you, the space where it was blank, that's where I added the new joke. Um, that's where I added it. So I knew that there was a space. All right, let's try this joke. And the joke was actually a callback to something else. Right. Nobody caught on to that callback because I think that he was so uncomfortable they were the focus was on him. him. The focus yeah. was on him. Yeah. Um, but I'll try it again. And if again, I'll try it again three times. If it doesn't work, it's done. And it's okay if it, it doesn't make it a bad joke. It just doesn't mean that it's it's working in that act. That's all. Or it does make me mean it's a bad joke. Do you feel that the pieces that you have now, since you're kind of afraid to work in new material, do you feel that the pieces are complete? In your show, or are you still you're happy with where they're at, and you're happy with how the whole thing is working together, and you're just refining now, or yeah, so you you feel like you're there? Uh, yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm refining. <clears throat> I don't need to add any of it. I haven't bought a trick for a long time. Right. Um, the only thing I'll buy is a, a change bag, something I'm yeah, using already. Right. Or just to replace. Or, yeah. I'm happy with what I have. I, I want to. Ref There's one one piece I want to refine, but I think it's worked. The more I think about it, it's working. But I want to refine it even more. Right. But I think the more I add or take away or add, which I used to do a lot, right? I used to. Oh, I want to try this. I want to try that. I want to try this. I could never get to where I wanted to be. Right on. I mean, I've been doing the same act now for for two years now, or two or three th three years. If I keep on doing this act, it will be refined. Right. Um, it will never be perfect. Never be perfect because each audience is different. Right. And I think the audience is a lot to play. Sure. And I'm, I'll be honest with you right now. Again, this is, I think that the customer is not always right. And I think there is such thing as a bad audience because people sometimes don't want to be in the show. They're there because of a group of people. Um, they don't like magic. They don't like entertaining. Um, th there are people, uh, alcohol plays a big um, 
a part in, in when, when people see shows, no matter how drunk they get or whatever. I've been to comedy clubs. You've been to comedy clubs. You know that it, when I stepped on, on stage for the first time a long time ago, a woman yelled something to me. It broke up the whole my whole act. It broke up the whole mysterious atmosphere that I wanted to create. You know? So I, I really honestly think, and a lot of people aren't going to like this, but yes, there is such thing as a bad audience. It, it's how you handle your situation within within that time. And there's also a bad entertainer. It goes both ways. The customer is not always right. There are customers who will lie. There, there are customers who will try, try to get something for themselves. Just like there are people in an audience who will try to uh, get your goat and and make you go off track. It's how you handle yourself on stage. That's a good segue into talking about because you have such a strong character, right? And your entire act is character driven. How do you handle, we, and we'll call them hecklers, people that want to try to take away the control that you have? How do you handle that as, as the character? Okay. Um, I, I keep things in the back of my briefcase, um, cooking recipes, <laughs> and uh, um, a few other things that I'm, I'm going to keep. I'm getting I, I'm getting more and more ideas. That there are things that I say. If a heckler, that you don't. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. It's just a, it's a look. If somebody heckles you, I'll give you an example that. I was at a comedy club in 2003 in Valdosta, Georgia. If I'm talking too much, tell me. You're not. Okay. All right. You have more. You have film left. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, not. It's not taking. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, you're fine. This is all analog too, by the way. This yeah. isn't digital. Okay, no, I know. <laughs> the, the real, the real is still running. Right. So uh, we're good. In the corner. All right. I, I was in a, a club in Valdosta, Georgia, <clears throat> and the room had about 150 people, and I was, I was that guy on stage, and I was just getting into my character at the time. And right before the ending of my show, this is the deep south, the deep south, and I respect everybody. But this is, you know, again, when you when when a New Yorker plays or this kind of act, I know where this. I have to be realistic. My kind of act is not going to work in the deep south, just like. Um, Right. So this guy stands up and, 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 and he looks at me and right before I got off, right before I did the ending to the act, and he says, you suck. And he yells, you suck. You suck. And I said, um, can you say that again? And he says, you suck. And I, I took the mic and I said, you know, it's OK. And I looked at him and it's OK. With every comedian has a fear that they're going to get heckled from the audience. But I took a course before I became a comedian and I learned how to handle this. So when I, when I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand and I'll call on you and you heckle me and I'll show you how I'm going to handle this situation. Ready? One, two, three. The guy raises his hand. He's six feet tall with cowboy boots, big cowboy hat. I thought he was going to kill me. I said, you, sir. He says, you suck. Do I have to say it again? And I, I walked very slowly over to the front of the stage with a mic, and I looked at him, and I put my hand out like this, and I said, where are you from? He goes, in, the, in this area, Valdosta. I looked at him again, and I said, 
This is a beautiful area. Anybody else? <laughs> he shut up for the rest of the show. And you could hear him say, I don't understand what just happened. <laughs> I'll stay. But I said, with that said, I would like to end my show with something that I'm going to finish with. And, and um, it shut him up. It shut him up. The same thing happened at Universal Studios in Orlando. I got kicked out of the Universal Studios. Um, I did. They had a jazz club there. They had, uh, yeah. And Bonkers um, uh, booked me for they had the, the comedy club every Friday and Saturday. Remember that? Yeah. Remember that? They, they booked me to be an opening act, which never works because I only have 15 minutes to a half hour. And nobody understands me in a day. How are they going to understand me? <laughs> Or, or a year. How are they going to understand me in 15 minutes to half hour? So, again, I, I was about to perform my ending act, and a guy in the front row, the place was packed. My agent was there um, with his friends. And, and a guy in the front row, I'm on this big stage, he goes, you suck. And I, I stopped the show again. I, I said the whole thing. I said, where are you from? He said, North Carolina. I said, beautiful place. Anybody else? <laughs> and, and that's and he shut up. And I said, with with that, I would like to finish my show with something that I'm going to end with. And um, he shut up. Now they they kept me in the green room for an hour and a half. And then they had the uh, the manager come in and said, "We like you as a person, but you know the audience didn't get your act." And I said, "I understand. No one's gonna, you know, not everybody's gonna get my act, but thank you for uh, trying." And I left. And I, I I cried that night. I was very upset. Very upset. Um, but I, in retrospect, I understand, you know, like I said, not everyone's going to get the act here. If a heckler is, is heckling me, I say, do you like to cook? And then whatever they say, yes or no, here's a, here's a recipe for, for steaks. And I hand them a recipe, so, you know, or, um, whatever, whatever you keep different things. Where are you from? Georgia. You take out a book about States. <laughs> and, and you, you know, Georgia, the state tree is this, the, the state bird is, is this. Um, and, you, you know, I'm going to get a book on states. So that's the way I want to handle hecklers. You throw a curveball to them. You don't say your mother is this, your father is this, your grand. You know, that, that's cool. That's cool for other comedians. Andrew Dice Clay, is people going to see Andrew Dice Clay because of that reason. The amazing Jonathan, he knows, you know, me, I want to throw them a curveball, you know, you suck. Where are you from? Georgia? Turn, take out the book, the book of states. You know, the state bird of Georgia is this. The state <laughs> flower is this. You just put it away. Just go on. Would you like me to sing the state song for you? <laughs> right. Right. Start. Yeah. All with a, you know, but it can't be, well, the state bird is this. The state flower is this. This, You know, you have to do it with like, a straight face. And then you just, like, nothing ever happened. You know, and and people will feel uncomfortable, but at the same, and, but a lot of people will get it. They'll understand. Um, I think you're you're coming at it from, and, and maybe I'm I'm not entirely accurate, but it's because of the character you can channel it. It's almost not like it's personal. How would the man of mystery handle a heckler? Jason Wennington or Jeffrey Allen may handle it completely different. But in character, it's awkward and not what you would expect. You're right. If somebody did that to me outside the restaurant, 
wounded. And hurt. I'm, I'm right. really hurt. Correct. I would yell. I've yelled at people before. Yeah. I'm sorry. The New York would come out. <laughs> New, York, New York, right. I would be very angry. <coughs> I was driving in celebration yesterday, and somebody took a picture. There were people taking pictures of they have a Cinderella's carriage now. That yeah. people. So I'm right behind Cinderella's carriage, and I yelled out to the person taking the picture. You don't want to take a picture of my car? You don't want to take a picture of me? And I slammed my hand down, and they looked, and they started to laugh, and I just drove off. You know, but but that kind of attitude. But but and that's that's interesting. I tried a lot of things. I have stories, a load of stories. When I was getting ready to to go to try the character on stage, I did things in public with with my character um, that I experimented with. I don't know if I would do it now because I'm performing now. <laughs> and it's I'm I'm getting rid of that. I remember Jeff McBride said he had a lot of fears. Did you interview him? No, yeah, no. you are. Uh, no, I think we we reached out to. Him. Never got back. He's afraid. Tell him to take the mask off. <laughs> Which one? Both. <laughs> That's true. Number seven and a half. We love you, Jeff. No, he's brilliant. He's what I I saw him on a talk show and he said that he he has a lot of fears. But every night when he performs. He's getting rid of those fears because he's performing on stage and that helps him. It helps me too. I don't think that's why I don't think I, I wouldn't really try a lot in public like I did 10, 15 years ago. It's also a different world than it was 15 years ago. There's a lot more anger than there was. But I would tell people in my character, in the man of mystery character, that I was a woman um, and I would and, and with a straight face and I had a sex change, waiters and waitresses and people. And show them pictures of my my ex girlfriends, and this is what I used to look like, <laughs> and, and with a straight face, You're just like just like you and your and your character, Jason, just like you. You had a backstory. Yeah, you know, people believed it because you believed it. Correct. If you believe what you're doing, people will believe it. When you're up there, Josh, if people believe what you know what, what you're performing, and um, Doug Henning believed what he was doing on stage, he was not just a trickster. He really, it really came through to the audience that he believed what he was doing was real magic. That is what translated to the audience. You can tell that, that he had heart. David Copperfield, um, Rich, Richie Artie. Yeah. Um, the great, the great. The great Richie, you want some more Sprite? Uh, please, that would be awesome. We'll pause the interview in a second. Do you want to keep talking? Can you take a look at this? Fine, pause. No, no, am I still going? You want to go here? Uh, I'm good, actually. Am I paused or is it? This is just probably all being recorded right now. That's okay. So if you're listening to this, you're not paused. I'm still recording. That's okay. I'll tell you a story that may be interesting to anybody else. Um... In 2009, my late husband died June 29th. There was a convention Jeffrey was performing in July 4th weekend. He was Not performing, and I was... The talent show. He was, you know, in the contest. Contest. My late husband used to say to him, I'm sorry, your mom's not going to be able to go with you because he was so sick. But he died in time, and after the funeral, I went to Nashville with him. And um, he got on stage with his beer bottle trick. Yeah didn't work exactly right. It worked. Nobody knew it was didn't work right, but I knew it didn't. The sound didn't work for anything. Something that wrong with their sound system. Mm -hmm. His garbage pail in the back 
of the stage. They thought it was a real garbage pail. It was some garbage. I think you're welcome. I think, yeah, her, her help is referring to shit into it. So, and I'm sitting in the audience. I'm back to sound people, but they can't get the sound working, and he's out there. And the show ends. And Jeffrey goes back, I go backstage and we go outside and there was a dumpster and Jeffrey said, I'm taking this ball and I'm dumping it in the dumpster, I want to go home. And I knew he was real upset. I said, we're not going home. I paid for dinner tonight. <laughs> so we're going to the dinner. And it was so I wonderful. Don't want to be seen by anybody. He was so embarrassed, but we stayed and people were telling him how great the you show know, was. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. He came up to me and he does not get um, a telephone booth. Yeah, he doesn't, I said. Mm -hmm. He came up to me and said, right after I started crying, he says, uh, you were really different. He says, you were different. I said, Richard, the act didn't work. I, said, I shouldn't have said that. I said, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> but the sound cut off at a certain part, but where it cut off, it was like at the end of something. So the audience didn't know it was supposed to be sound for the rest yeah, of the day. We're, we're our own worst enemy, really. Are. We're yeah. Yeah. But so we stayed at that night for dinner next day, and then the day after, I think they had um, the awards at the Opera House. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sitting in the audience, and uh, Jeffrey's outside smoking at the time, and they say, is Jeff Allen in the house? So I think, okay, they're just going to apologize to him for everything, which they did. But then they said to him, every time I think of it, I'm going to cry. They say to him, we want to award you the, um, oh my God, what's his name? That's the award sitting on his coffee table. Oh, he was the... Oh, I'm glad. It was the, that was in existence for about five years. Nobody had ever won it. It wasn't a half... Carol Fox. Carol Fox award. And nobody had ever won it up to that point. And then they invited yeah. him up to the suite with all the professionals and all those. I said to him, aren't you glad you didn't go home? So you just never... You know, people shouldn't get so discouraged because you never know what somebody else might see. And somebody just won the Carol Fox for the second time. That's in about a 10 year period. Wow. Yeah. It was cool. I, I, uh, I freaked out. Oh, I sat next to so many moments. I, I mean, so many times after shows, myself, other people, I think it's part of the performers, our characters, just as we are people that we are our own worst critics and we get down on ourselves because we know what we're trying to get to, what we aspire to be. And if we fall short of that perfect ideal in our minds, and we're like, oh, because like you said before, I know what I'm jipping the audience out of. I know what I'm robbing them of. And yeah, it's like there's been many times where I've looked at my case and I'm like, I don't even know why I decided to go into magic. Why was I a performer? <laughs> this all just is going to go out. And then... Oh, I have a show to do in like, you know, 30 minutes so I better get back on stage. Right. That kind of thing. So, yeah, I think we are our own worst critics. And I think that makes, and just seeing you over the years and how you've evolved, that you're constantly working and you're constantly thinking about your act that you don't ever, you've never gotten to a point where you've stopped and go, I'm good as it is. Like you said, it's always being refined. It's always being, yeah, that's awesome. No, I think the person who says they're good, my act is good, I'm stopping. I think, first of all, that's arrogant um, because there's 
my father said, you can always learn something until you're dead. Um, and I think the person who says I'm good and stops is the person who also is maybe not arrogant, but who's also giving up. Um, I could have the I could have a great show and a great audience, and it's happened many times. And I could drive home and I could say to myself, "Wow, I'm the best." No, I'm not the best. The planets aligned. It was a great audience; they were into it, and I was into it. The energy was there. It's like going on a good date and going on a bad date, you know? Um, but just because I had a good audience and I'm on cloud nine, doesn't mean I'm going to be on cloud nine tomorrow in the afternoon show. doesn't matter that I, you know, I, I could be here, I could be here, I could be here. Um, so you, you learn every show. You learn every show. Every show, whether it's the, I, I never, you, your last show is your bet. what do they say, your, your last show is your... Uh, You're only as good as your last show? Right. Is that the one? Yeah. No. I never believe that. No. You're only as good as your last show. Because even if I'm really good at my last show, I could become better in my next show. But I might not be as, as good as, you know, in, the, in my next show. <laughs> and then we have to deal with situations where real-life situations hit us. I had to perform during my divorce, which I was shaking inside. It was still a good show. No, or when uh, when you someone dies. On the day after your father's day before your father's funeral. Right, correct. That was hard. Terrible show. The kids had a good it time. Was, it was a terrible show. But, but the kids, <laughs> it was a birthday party. It was a dead audience. But you no, know, but the kids didn't know it. They had fun. Right. I I knew what kind of show he does. I knew it was right. a terrible show. One of the last. It's usually the last question that we ask is, you've given so much good advice. What's the one piece of advice you would like to give if you could go back and see a younger version of you getting into performing? What's the one piece of advice you would want to give to a younger you that you know now? Well, I know you know. I think I, I know what I want to say. I'm just trying to think of what you're saying. Work, work as many different situations as you can. Uh, don't be afraid of getting into new experiences. Don't spend all your money on props, large illusions. Um, learn, learn from, learn from people, but don't copy them. Don't copy anybody's style. You're not them. Um, try and find who you are, and be creative um, with with um, with your knowledge. Don't don't copy anybody. Be be yourself and learn as much as uh, learn as much about yourself that you can in, in not only magic but many many different situations, and then integrate that into an act. That's great. That's great advice. Yeah. What were you going to say? 
I was going to say, don't get discouraged uh, easily. Don't don't be arrogant and acknowledge. Well, I was never. I don't think I was ever arrogant. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> and no, you're 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 very self-critical, but acknowledge when you do something good. Be self-critical, but sometimes in a positive way. Like, wow, that was a great show. Right. Well, right. Well, one thing. Well, one thing my father would do is he was a mind mentalist, and it was a great show. But when they drove home, he'd always say to my mother, uh, "No, the show wasn't that great." Was he used to make me crazy. So I do the same thing. It could be a great show, Josh, but I would say, you know, okay, what what can I? I'm picking apart. I think, like you said, we're all our uh, yeah, we're all worst enemy. Ridiculous are you after a show? going back and saying, okay, I like this, I like that, this was, no, i got to change that, i got to work on my timing better there, how meticulous are you with that? Do you do that in notes? Do you record? How do you do that process? I, I'm good at remember. I really am good at remembering. Okay. And when I go home, I write. Okay. I write. Um, writing it down, does it kind of help you get over the anxiety of that was a bad show or... Do you still get that now, or is there, or are you at, like? Because I mean, I, I get it all the time when I perform, and Jay knows this. Way. He's helped me with shows, and I just I beat myself up, and I always do it, which I shouldn't, because we're all confident people. But when it comes to that, we're vulnerable. Because you've been performing for so long, I mean, does it still get to you, or do you have do you have a way of kind of getting rid of that when you come back from a bad show? No, I'm still like that. Yeah, I really am. It could be a great show. And and Copperfield said this too in, in many interviews, and I and it I, I do it too. And maybe you have it. The, the, old, the whole audience could be cheering, and one guy in the audience could be like this with his arms folded, looking at you like you're uh, from out of space. Right. And you're going to concentrate on that one guy and say, you know, what can I do to help him? But I have to re I have to constantly remind myself about what I said backstage, and I think that was the first question right. mm -hmm. to to go back. Um, I'm doing this to expose people. Whether they get it or not doesn't matter. To make them think is the main reason. Uh, there have been many people that I've seen who sit like this in my show and come up, they come up after and say, I really enjoyed your show. It's happened to you. It's happened to you. Um, that, that blows me away. That says to my, I, I say to myself, wow, I judged. I can't believe I judged. You know, I don't like to judge anybody. But I'm, I guess I'm human. I, I judge. We all judge. Um, but yeah, I still get down on myself. Oh yeah. But when I when I go home and I write what I could have done different. Um, one one other thing that, that I would like to give, if I can go back for this, yeah. if I could give my myself, uh, if I could give my younger self advice, is no matter how good a show, if a show is really great, sometimes you feel on top of the world. You feel like you can try anything. Any joke, any, any, you know, and, and it would have worked with that audience, but it's not going to work with the audience next time is go back down to earth, you know, go back down to earth because it, it, your head is up here right now. You're really, you're on a high, you're really on a high, but what you're thinking might work up here is not going to work tomorrow when you're down here. Um, so just, just get, just be level level you know 
that's what I meant when I said don't be arrogant. Don't think of something that's really super oh, good for them. Oh, yeah, because right. you are the opposite of arrogance. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Oh yeah, yeah. Completely, one of the most humble performers. Just not even just performer, but one of the most humble people that I've ever met. Well, thanks a lot, Jason. I appreciate that. It makes me feel that means a lot to me. And to be so creative, but I and I've found that in a lot of creative people, truly creative people, and what I consider to be artists, true artists, that there is a humility that comes with that because it's, I think it's just part of that makeup that we're trying to express something. And I include myself in there. I don't know why I did that, but as an artist, you're trying to create something for someone else to appreciate. There's a humility that comes from that. Thanks, man. And you're always trying to be better. Yeah. yeah. Also, also knowing me, knowing that my act, and I know this is, is not going to work everywhere. It's not, I gave, I give it up. I, I gave up two shows. Um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I gave it up. I, I was asked to do it in a mall, in a food court on a stage. And I could have done my kids show. I could have done my family show, but I really wanted, I want to see where this is going. I want to see where, where the man of mystery act is going. Um, so I refused it. It was very good money. It's not for the money. Right. I mean, the money is good, but I, I refused it. It just didn't fit your character. It didn't fit. It didn't fit the character. I was not ready to do a, a show in a food court where you have, you know, people walking behind you and th there's no, there's no atmosphere. There's no atmosphere. I hate performing outside. Um, I've done it. We've all done it. If they say, can you do your show outside? No, I can't. And it's not an arrogant thing. I know that my show will not work outside. I know my show will not work for little kids. I know my show work, will work for uh, six, seven, eight-year-olds and, and up, not for little kids. Um, in in, a, in a, a room where it has four walls and it's contained. It's controlled. It's con in a controlled environment, right, Josh? I know where to say no and yes, but I, <clears throat> but that, that took me a while too. I don't want to be out there saying yes to everything. And it's good again, to learn different situations, but you also have to know that you have to know what, what your standards are too. And that's not an arrogant thing. I, I think a lot of people would look at it, look at that as being arrogant. I, I was once, I once went to a hotel in Orlando and they, and if I'm, again, if I'm digressing, tell me to stop. If you have to, okay. I went, I was going to do my show at a hotel in Orlando and they, they wanted to, the first night they wanted to put me in the game room. I said, no problem. Can you shut the games off? Cause they were bleeping and, and making noise. Oh, we, we can't, we can't unplug the games. And I said, uh, well, I, I need another room to, to perform my acting. I mean, my room, I have music and everything. Well, we, we don't have another place. I told them this over the phone when I called them and booked the act. They knew this. They knew this. This is, I, I wanted to stick up for myself and the art at this point. I said, you're the, you're the general manager. If you have a meeting, a business meeting, would you have your meeting in the game room with the games bleeping and making noise? It would not be a great place for your business meeting and kids coming in and running in and out. This is the same thing with my act. I said, I'm, I'm not a star. 
but I need a controlled environment for the audience to enjoy the act. And they, they understood. And I, I was not arrogant. I was, uh, again, I'm, I'm not in Vegas. But in order for me to be successful in my act with the audience, I needed to have that. And they, they moved me to a room where I did have that controlled environment. Jay and I have talked about that. It's a, when you're building the character, it's, it's finding your niche and where you where you can work and where you can't work, and figuring out what your your journey is and where you're going to be performing. So, no, that's completely agreeable. Um, how small of an audience do you think that your character works for? How big of an audience do you think it could work for? I've worked for two people. And the night that I worked for two people, two magicians came to see me. <laughs> so it, after that, I stopped advertising it on Facebook because I never knew how many people were going to come. And it was a good show. These people, they saw me before. They liked it. Um, I need an audience of, I figured this out, 10 people for it to be successful, which a lot of these hotels, you know, it's hard to get three people sometimes, especially in January, in the slow times. But I'm going to move to Vegas because I heard that Vegas, they, they need magicians and they don't have a lot of entertainment. So I think <laughs> I'll be... It's out in the middle of the yeah. desert. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah, but you only have Copperfield and... You only have Copperfield and a few other magicians who are working there. But, you know, I think that I would be the one that they were looking for in Vegas mm. and it would be complete. But anyway, it would be very different. You don't have anything in Vegas yeah. like it. No, they, it would be, well, it's true. Amazing job. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Or maybe I'll work the streets. Yeah, yeah Fremont. Like, work the streets. Some interesting act. On I heard. I heard. I heard. That's intense. <laughs> what was the question? Uh, large. Oh, yeah. What's, What's all large? Large? Ten, ten people. Ten people the minimum. Right. And then I worked for in an amphitheater on July 4th, uh, three years ago. There were 500 people. And um, th they wanted me back the next year, but uh, the, I was working. I was working that day. So 500 people. Um, I think the more intimate it is, the better. Um, Perfect audience for you. A hundred people. A hundred people. No more. No more. So from ten to to a hundred. So a room like Wonderworks is a is a good size. Right. So last Saturday night was sold out. There were one hundred and three. That's right. great. It was nice. And then the second show was uh, fifty, and that was nice too. That was intimate. Right. But I think any more becomes an ocean, and for an ocean, I don't have. I don't have the act for uh, five hundred people was for an ocean. That was difficult, especially outdoors in an amphitheater. Yeah. No, I ended up. They wanted the. They wanted forty-five minutes. I ended up performing <laughs> ninety minutes. No, I was sweating my ass off. But we all, we've all done it. Yeah. What's the? Um, I don't know how to put this. Like, what would you consider the worst venue that you have worked? The worst venue? The worst venue where you thought, this is totally going to work. And then you got there and you're like, this is totally not going to work. In a tent? 
in a tent on a, on a, a, a grassy field where it started to rain and there was mud. <laughs> and, and the rain got in the tent and they wanted me to set up my stuff. And um, Did you do the show? Nobody came to see the show because they were they were running because it was raining. Raining and mud. Right. So I ended up. Um, I said I got. Uh, I'm here. I'm walking around with my trench coat in the rain and my mask, saying, uh, "I'm the man of mystery. <laughs> my show is going to be under the tent in about 20 minutes." You know, and and no, nobody came. And I I said, "Well, they're still paying me. I got to do something." So I. I'm not as good as coins as you are, Jason. Well, close-up is you, Josh, but I grabbed the quarter and I, I you know, I did some close-up right. and I grabbed my balloons from the car and I put my trench coat away and I just started making balloons, balloon sculptures, um, uh, different characters, and they, they love that. But uh, I couldn't, um, I think that, you know, the show, yeah, that was the, the, the one right. the one venue. And then any outdoor shows where people are sitting around the pool area right. and there were times when I would do an outdoor show with some of the hotels and they were sitting and I, I would go to the microphone with my mask and I would say, my show begins in 20 minutes, but I can't start unless there are 80 people in front of me. Thank you. And I would just walk away and then come back and there would be four people. And I would say, we're still looking for 76 people. And I would play that up. right over here. One of the times. <laughs> so if you put people on the spot, not be mean, but if you put people on the spot in a funny way, I think right. I've also been yelled at by you know people. Um, they also misconstrued my character as rude, which uh, you know. So I've, but again, you can't. That's an interesting reaction to it. Yeah, you, you, you can't. Uh, you can't change yourself. You know, you learn in every situation. You learn. Some people are not open. When people come to a magic show, they expect this. I was just going to say that, actually. They, right. Their perceptions of a magic show with the top hat, the bunny, and the wand. Right. One of my friends was waiting online at Wonderworks a few months ago, and he, and he, he was coming to see me, and he heard these people say, oh, I wonder if, he, uh, if the magician's going to pull a rabbit out of a hat tonight. Right. And he said to himself, you know, he didn't say to the people, this is not that kind of show. You know, so You're going to be very surprised. Right, <laughs> right. That's great. Some people like it. Some people don't. Some people hate me. Right. Well, I think that's you know when again kind of going back to the idea if you're an artist and what you're you're trying to express something that's bigger than just a magic show. There's more depth to it. I I think you've done your job. People walk away. I did not like that, but like you said, you're making them think, and you're kind of forcing them into a perspective, at least making an opinion and having an opinion. Now, like, yeah, that maybe never again, but they saw it once, and yeah, you're getting a reaction regardless. Like, regardless. they're they're having some kind of emotional reaction to it, and as an artist, I think that's what we're really looking for ultimately, whether they like us or not, like you said at the beginning, is irrelevant. I don't, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. You went, you're right. It's irrelevant. Um, you went to an art museum with my father a long time ago and you walked into the art museum and there were blank canvases on the walls, right? Oh, no, it was um, a friend of ours was a photographer. We were also, and he got a gallery only in New York in the Italy that allowed him to do an exhibit of blank, photographic paper 
He framed them. He processed the paper, put it through the chemicals, but there were no images on it because his thing in the hands, as I'm saying, is there is it's in the eye of the beholder. So you looked at the blank thing and it was whatever you imagined it would be. It was, I mean, only in New York would they give him an exhibit, but it was a very interesting, artistic, creative idea. There's a sculpture in my room. If you want to see it, I'll show you on the wall. I made it myself. But, it, uh, you know, when you're looking at this, I'll, I can tell you what it means after, but there's many different ways to what it, to what it means. Some very different perspectives. And uh, magic, <clears throat> people have uh, pre preconceived notions on what it should be. And if it doesn't meet that expectation, they, they uh, or what they thought it was going to be, they, they disregard it. Attention spans today are different from when it was 25 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. That's not only with magic. Those kind of people are not open to anything. Right. That's why I said at the beginning, I believe that people should be exposed to many different things. And the more they are, then the more they'll understand creativity and, and um, life. Right. Really, that life yeah. is not what only, only the things that you live. It's one of the great parts about growing up in New York. Yeah. Or any big city, Chicago. Or any big city, right. But, but I love I love New York. New York taught taught, taught me that. You know, ways to look at things. So, well, thank you. You're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Jeff Allen. And uh, check him out. And uh, look him up. Do what you got to do. Thank you. <laughs> And his mom, and his mom, and his mom, who's visiting from Tampa to help out. After the interview, we sat with Jeff and his mother, chatting about old magic TV specials and the heydays of magic. Jeff was kind enough to show us around his apartment to see some magic collectibles he has acquired over the years. It started to get late, so we bid the Allen family a good night and set off back home. <laughs>